Warning, the following podcast contains descriptions of violence against human beings and may contain descriptions of sexual violence. This podcast is not suitable for children under the age of 13. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, Paranormies, it's Zane. And Kyle. And we're back, guys. And Kyle has a tantalizing tale for us today. Yeah. Just to kick things off, guys, you know that little thing that pops up at the end of, like, every slasher film or at the beginning of every slasher film that says, based on a true story? Yeah, it's all bullshit. Or based on true events. Yeah, none the of true it's true. events are, like, very, very minimal. Yep. The, mm-hmm. the true events are generally the part where someone uses the word the or and. <laughs> It's about the extent of it. Yeah. And that being said, let's talk about slashers. Well, this is this story that we're going to talk about actually led to most of the slashers that we know today. Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm -hmm. Um, Psycho. Carrie. Psycho very much so, by the way. The Psycho parallels are incredible. Yes. Um, Carrie, I I mean, the entire Carrie story isn't based off of this, but there are things that led from this story to create I didn't know that. Carrie's That'll background. be interesting to find out about. So this true story has led to so many different slasher movies, horror movies. The ones we listed, Being yeah. stemmed from this actual true story. And the, are they, like, in any way similar? Are there similarities the I'll pull them out as we go through the story, and so and I I will name different movies, famous movies or stories that stemmed from information that I'm going to present here. Interesting. Um, but this also started people getting into the know of murderers and serial killers. I know that before this time there were murderers and serial killers, but this story brought it more to light, so more people were aware of it, and I think this is kind of what started the. I don't know. Trend, as it were. I don't know if it's really a trend, because I feel like true crime is more of a modern trend. Mm. However, it was became like more publicized made... after, after this. So it was more like it became part of the American mindset that there were serial killers out there? Yes. Was it like, would you say, okay, it's going to be a really like dramatic way of phrasing it, but was it kind of like the wake-up call for America that, there, that everybody was not a good person? Absolutely. Thanks, Ed Gein. <laughs> You're the reason I have to wait in so many lines. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, so let's just jump all the way back. So Ed Gein, Edward Theodore Gein, was born in on August 27th, 1906. He has an older brother by the name of Henry, and he was born to the parents of George and Augusta Gein. Um, they had kind of a rocky relationship. Augusta hated her husband because he was a drunk and he couldn't keep a job. Uh, George worked as a tanner, a carpenter, and an insurance salesman. He owned a grocery store for a few years, but sold it to live in isolation with his family on a 155-acre farm in Plainfield, Wisconsin. Do we have anything on why he wanted to live isolated? Is there, like, a reason? I think it was more just to get away from people. I don't know if there's any real specific reason as to why. I think it was just... I mean, my parents kind of did the same thing when they moved to where they are now, is they don't want to be in the city. Well, I know know for a fact that, you know, I... I've studied, we're both, <laughs> we're true crime fans. I know a bit right. about Ed Gein. Right. I know that, and I'm sure you'll get a bit into this, but I know Augusta was very religious. Yeah. Was this partially kind of a fleeing Babylon thing, do you think? Do you think she kind of strong-armed him into this? I definitely could see that because she was very controlling. She okay. definitely wore the pants in that relationship. Tell me more. So Augusta took this isolation to boot and turned away outsiders that would influence her sons. 
Um, Ed and his brother only left the farm to attend school. And when they were not in school, they were working hard on the, on the farm, just doing normal farm chores. But they weren't allowed to, to be friends with anybody. In fact, every time Ed would try to make friends and bring him home, his mom would get mad at him and punish him for making friends. And this kind of makes me think of Carrie a little bit. Um, because Augusta was fervently religious and followed the Lutheran beliefs. Uh, she taught them that innate immorality of the world, teaching drinking was evil, and women, other than herself, all women, were all promiscuous instrument, instruments of the devil. So real quick, was she just like not planning on having grandchildren? Like I don't know, because I mean, I'm, I only saw the Carrie movie, but that's exactly how... Carrie's mom she's, is. She's, she's religious like, yeah, and she and prevents outsiders from coming in. Yeah. Yeah. But not just that, but she's also telling Carrie that you're a, because in the book, Carrie gets her first period and she's like, no, that's the, you're demonic now. Like it's something you have to deal with. I'm trying to remember like. I know what you're talking about though. She, she essentially says like you are a child of Satan. Yeah, exactly. You're a yeah. child of Satan because yeah, because now you can have children. Mm -hmm. It's interesting though too, because so as I think of it um, and plug, plug, plug. I've, I know a lot about cults. I think they're really interesting. And one of the things that every cult leader does, there's like a defined list of things that cult leaders do because during the 80s, there was a lot of cults and there was a lot of ways that you could prevent cults. And it's much like a national health epidemic. The, the government put out a list of things to watch out for to make sure you weren't in a cult. One of them is right. isolationism and um, brainwashing. And it sounds a lot like both of those are being done in the Gein household. She's isolating her children. She's not letting them get other ideas, which is fascinating as well because she lets them go to school, mm -hmm. which tells you exactly how Christian our society was at that point. Right. Because if she was allowing them to go to school and it was a, quote, safe environment, according to Augusta Gein, we lived in a very different culture. Um, but what I wanted to get at, I mean, this this is cult indoctrination 101. Isolate right. them and then teach them only what you want them to know. Yep. Well, also, she would set aside every day time for them to read the Bible, but she would only focus on verse, verses that would talk about death, murder, and divine retribution. And it was only located, all the information was only located in the Old Testament. She wouldn't really touch the New Testament. So she was clearly was cherry picking what she wanted her boys to know so that she could manipulate and control them. Sounds really culty. Absolutely. Um, but Ed himself was was a shy child. I... The more I look at his life, I think he probably was autistic. Or at least on the spectrum. Or somewhere, yeah. Um, they said uh, everyone who knew him said he had unique mannerisms, and he would often randomly laugh as if he was laughing at his own inside jokes, which I probably did as a child. <laughs> I mean, yeah. let's face it. I mean, before we go much further here, every time that I get an intro story on a serial killer, I ask myself if I'm a serial killer. I'm I, just saying, he was he was a solo person. He stayed at home alone and talked to no one. I'm uh, like, this sounds like paradise. Oh, I, this guy killed like 200 people. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was me. Like, oh, oh that were, is me. They were a unique child and didn't fit in with others. Oh, that was me for Why sure. Why do all of us end up making true crime podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> this is not vicarious murder anyway continue <laughs> right um so i mean that's pretty much just how they were raised sadly april 1st of 1940 george died due to heart failure because of his alcoholism at the age of 66 if i was married to august i'd be an alcoholic too right exactly so what does that put 
Ed at, let's see, 1906 to... So 34. He's 34 years old when his dad died. Still living with his mother. Still living with his mother. Where's his brother out at this point? No, his brother's still living with him as well. Mm. I mean, you do have to remember if they were getting married. Brother, right? Yeah, older brother, five years older than he was. Weird. Now, you have to remember, if if you weren't getting married and ha- going out on your own, you pretty much lived at home. It's, uh, not too many people really moved out on your own kind of back then. Which is interesting because it was such a, like, everybody was independent at that point. That was how it worked. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. Yeah. So Henry and Ed began picking up odd jobs around town to make ends meet. Uh, They were reliable and honest uh, with residents in the town. So pretty much people trusted them. Well, I mean, you're raised by a super, super religious lady. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure she controlled all the money that came in as well. Not to mention that I I guarantee you she had, like, a a sway over the town just because of her Mm -hmm. persona. Yeah. Now, something that's unique about what Ed did that Henry, his older brother, did not do is Ed would frequently babysit the neighbor kids. And which, in hindsight, knowing that he is a murderer. Okay, kid, puts the lotion (laughs) in the basket. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm... What are you doing with my kid? Nothing. That's just lotion. This is a basket. But, but his personality, he got along with kids more than adults. Which may come back to your autism quote. Yeah, because he felt like he was more on their level than an adult level. Um, now, shortly after their dad died, Henry began dating a divorced woman, and he planned to move in with her and her two kids. Uh, That's super interesting. That's such a break from being brainwashed absolutely. for 40 years. Absolutely. Now, in the, all I the articles... I want to know more about this guy. I thought the same thing, but I, I noticed that most of them just said move in with her. I, th- I personally think he was probably planning on marrying her and moving in with but her. But can you imagine how scandalous that was for the time? Remind <laughs> me what year this is? Uh, this is 1940. Okay, 1940, you're moving in with an unwed widow. Like, that is like the scandal of the century Absolutely. back then. Like, nowadays, it doesn't matter. It was just right. not important to the social conscience. But like, I, I, I've heard tell from people directly of like a daughter getting pregnant out of wedlock and going off to Europe for a year... <laughs> To have the baby and then the parent, I kid you not, the parents raising it as a sister and not telling the child. And this was not uncommon. So the concept that, what was his name? Henry? Uh Henry Gein moved in with an unwed widow. By the way, there was a lot of stigma around being a widow too and marrying a widow. There's like this whole section in the Bible that says if you marry a widow, you've made her a whore or something like Mm -hmm. that. That was like totally believed. And oh, keep I'm in sure, mind, Old I'm Testament sure, Augusta. Yes, I'm sure she was throwing it at him. And oh. he was just, I mean, he obviously had a personality of for himself. He wasn't like Ed. But it does sound almost like he picked the most provocative thing he could with her. That's uh-huh. that's super interesting, though. Mm-hmm. So what happens to Henry then? Well, Henry, so he was, his main focus when he decided that he wanted to move in with this lady was he was worried about Ed because he knew that his attachment that Ed had with his mother was so unhealthy. And anytime it was just Ed and Henry together, they would talk about, he, uh, Henry would talk about their mother negatively and try to be like, mom's crazy. Like, don't keep listening to her. And Ed would be like super hurt and shocked and like so offended that he was talking ill about their mother. And that <laughs> I'm just like imagining it. Like any of my siblings, if they were doing that, Ed, I'd be like, mom is cuckoo. Yeah. No, man. No. I'm going to go check on the head I have in the microwave. (laughs) (laughs) So four years after their mom died. um, Yeah, four years, because it was May of 1944. A horrible tragedy struck the Gein farm. So Henry and Ed were out burning uh, marsh vegetation on their property, just clearing out the fields. uh, When the fire got out of control and caused 
the attention of the fire department in the town. So it's not like anyone nearby, because, I mean, you have to remember, they're on a 155-acre lot. Was it 55 or 155? 155. Okay. 155-acre lot. So no one's going to be like, oh, I see smoke. Like, it has to, well, it had to be no burning had for a while. Either. Like, yeah. This would have been something where someone literally saw smoke, walked to the fire department, said, that's on fire. Mm-hmm. Do you see that smoke over there? And and then went from there. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. And so the fire department went over and they worked on getting the fire out. And after the firefighters left, Ed reported that his brother was missing. I don't know why he waited until the firefighters left, but. Wait, like, so they leave, fires out, then he calls him again? Then he calls, yeah, I think he calls the police and says, I can't find my brother. He's, he's nowhere to be found. Interesting. Um, so with lanterns and flashlights, a search party went out looking for Henry Gein. It had to be nighttime. I mean, if the fire caught, if they caught fire, by the time they could put it out. It's nighttime. Everybody left. Was it winter time at this dark. point? Um, well, if there was, it, no, if there was, was brush, then it wouldn't be. Yeah, it was May. Um, they were probably getting ready for just to plant things. Yeah. Clearing out the field and stuff. Um. And they ended up finding his brother face down in the dirt. His body had been dead for some time. Um, the cause of death seemed to be heart failure because the body had been had not been burned uh, or injured otherwise. It was later reported, though, um, in the book Deviant, which is all about Ed Gein. I, I read it. It's fascinating. Um, the author stated that there was actually bruising around Henry's head, but otherwise that's the only report that's ever been given. Bruising I don't know where, around the head. Around the head. Which fire clearly does? Well, yeah. that's All those, but, all those fires running around with baseball bats, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Them fires are scurry. <laughs> but the, what's crazy is the police ruled out foul play, and the coroner reported the cause of death to be asphyxiation. Yeah, after his head got stoved in. Yeah, exactly. Of course he's going to sit there and breathe in the smoke and die. Um, Do you think that he... Do you think Gein killed his brother? I think, I think so. But Why? Because well, he, was he was talking, talking crap on mom. mom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Holy crap. Yeah. Okay. But no autopsy was ever done, so they don't know exactly what happened. But I I mean, it's reported that some are suspect or suspect Ed of killing his brother. I'm like, oh, all, all I'm saying he is, absolutely did. This this is not conspiracy at all. I mean, really think about this, okay? What causes blood force trauma naturally in the woods during a fire where your brother, who is kind of a creep, happens mm-hmm. to be wandering about? Yeah. Like, I'm just saying. There's, there's nothing na- like in nature other than maybe a tree landing on him that causes blunt force trauma, and he wasn't found mm-hmm. under a tree. Yeah, but re- think of the the relationship. I mean, if his brother's concerned about how close he is with his mother and, like, it's weird. And he's, like, trying to basically evangelize him out. And his mother, I guarantee you, is preaching to him that his brother is, like— Is the devil. Yeah, he's well, moving in, yeah. With an unwed woman and, yeah. Exactly. So put that into perspective, and if you're—I mean— People Long talk about it all the time. If the someone's king. being negative, yeah. cut them out of your life. Well, Ed or just for sure take a brick that. to the back of their head. Apparently, <laughs> I mean, I know a few, but I wouldn't so do it. So <laughs> now it is Ed's dream. It's just Ed and Mom That's all kooky. alone. Um, but shortly after Henry's death, Augusta actually had a stroke, and she was it was paralyzing. And didn't I couldn't find any information as to what was paralyzed after the stroke, but she relied on Ed quite a bit after that. Um, and then, uh, so this story is just a short little thing that was a blurb in there, but it makes, it kind of puts Ed's life into perspective as to why he started doing things, I think. Okay. So sometime in 1945, no dates specific, um, Ed recounts a story where he, him and his mother went to a man, no first name, just Smith. And is this after she's been paralyzed? Yes. Uh Yeah. So it's after her stroke. 
Um, and they went to this man's house. They just called him Smith to purchase some straw. And when they showed up, the guy was beating a dog and a woman was inside the house and came out and yelled to him to stop. Well, he ends up beating the dog to death. Right there is triggering my mind that Ed was probably super fascinated by them. Um, but Augusta wasn't, she was like appalled and shocked at what she was seeing, but it wasn't because the guy just beat this dog to death. But because the lady that came out of the house wasn't married to the Smith guy. Oh, she wasn't married to him? Mm Mm-mm. And so she's like, so she would always call, after that, she would always call this woman uh, the Smith Smith harlot. That is the classiest way to call someone a whore I've heard in a long (laughs) time. Seriously. But it's amazing to me that she was more concerned about the unmarried woman being in the Smith's house than toward animal brutality. Um, so that shows you where her priorities were in like raising her kids. But, but also Smithers, whatever his name was, Smith. Can, can I just point out something? If you roll up to someone's house and they are beating a dog to death in the front yard, right? You, you best not be friends with that person. And second point for you here, the Smith harlot is the least of your concerns. Yeah. That dude's a serial killer. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> Clearly, he's not the only one in town because Ed's like, oh, it's that's in the super water fascinating. <laughs> it's in the system. It, it is. Anyway. It's Wisconsin. So, yes, absolutely. There's Apparently so much we weird just stuff made that all of there. Wisconsin serial killers. All right. <laughs> all of them. You've been deputized, Wisconsin. Have at it. <laughs> it's the purge. <laughs> just in Wisconsin. <laughs> 24 hours. Except that the purge, Wisconsin would be like, Oh, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm not canning any fruit tonight, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those Wisconsiners. Oh, They're Wisconsin, great. South Canada. <laughs> anyway, continue. So um, I I don't know why Ed felt like he needed to tell somebody this story, but he did after he had been arrested. Um, but shortly after this happened, Augusta suffered a second stroke and her health deteriorated deteriorated rapidly. So just real quick. He brought that story up in his confession? Yes. Holy. Which, why is I, that's why I'm thinking, it made a mark in his mind. Clearly. Otherwise, he wouldn't have ever brought it he up. He brought it up in his confession. That's mm. freaking terrifying. Yes. Like, he remembered, that is sense memory, not sense memory stuff. He would have been in his 30s, he'd be plenty, mm. plenty able to remember. But the fact that that came out during his testimony, oh my gosh, continue. Yeah. And, yeah it's crazy. I didn't know that. That's terrifying. Yeah, so, um... So then his mother ended up dying in December, December 29th, 1945. So later that year. I'll light candles this year. At the end, <laughs> at the end, at the age of 67. Um, and it, every article that I said just said he had lost his true love and his only friend. Creepy. I mean, can you think of, I mean, think about it though. If he psycho. was to make friends. Yeah. Psycho. 100%. It's Norman right Bates. Here. 100% yep. Norman Bates right there. His best friend is now gone. Um, but he was I mean, just think about it. Utterly ar- alone. He is Cut off. on a 155-acre farm in complete isolation. He does go into town and, like, um, end up ma- helping um, just, like, handyman work so that he can earn money. Still make ends meet. He did end up getting government subsidization. Assistance. Um, yeah, yeah, because of how large his farm was. I don't know how that works, but... It's probably no longer there. It's kind of a farmer's almanac sounding thing to me. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, support the, the agricultural industry, things like gotcha, that. Gotcha, to keep the world going. Well, and, I, and going. this was after the Great Depression. There was a lot of programs that were still around and are still around, frankly. Um, well, and you have to, I mean, 1945, <clears throat> that's 
That's the year the war ended, technically speaking. Yeah. That's so, crazy. I mean, because well, the war is all that brought us out of the Great Depression, frankly. But like, yeah. But I mean, putting it into perspective, him, neither him nor his brother went off to war. And I think, well, his brother died in 44. That's still during the war. And they, they were in their 30s. Yeah. Did they claim um, religious? Uh, well, there wasn't a draft, so they didn't have to claim anything. There were 17-year-olds going off to fight. Um, yeah, they wouldn't have had to get deferred, but my assumption would be that their mother preached to them that war was wrong. Probably. That would be my guess, and that's totally assumption. But well, and also because their father died and they were the only ones that could bring in income. That's that Well, I know that, that is, that's a deferment if you're like the man of the house, but I don't remember for well, sure. Well, and I'm wondering if because Henry was the man of the, the house. Bread, the breadwinner of the and home. And then Ed probably wouldn't have passed any type of... Physical te- mental the, test, mental test. Well, there te- wasn't yeah, mental exactly. tests back then. Yeah. You could you could probably be like, I want to blow up everything, and they'd be like, Here, have a gun. But yeah, like, exactly. Because they still do. <clears throat> <laughs> but I mean, th- it's just I think it's sad in this in this perspective in this time is in his life. Just think of going to an empty house that's in the middle of nowhere. I think it's spooky. Like yeah. for me, like granted, I'm I'm a true crime fan, so like. There's half of me that would love to go live in the woods far, far away from people and knows I could do well. And mm-hmm. there's the other half of me that's like, that is asking to be murdered with an axe and never found again. Yeah. Like spooky stuff, man. But also things that were taboo in his house that he wasn't allowed to bring up or talk about. Like He's being in the shower. Going, yeah. <laughs> being in the shower. Well, I mean, it says that he started getting into particularly... Um, like magazines, pulp magazines. So I Googled pulp magazines. Apparently they're uh, they're like a genre. I didn't realize mm-hmm. they weren't actually like a brand, but it's just a genre. It's mostly like partial nudity or like inferred nudity covered barely by stuff. Like for the time would have been hella risque. Well, yeah. Absolutely. But I mean, look at this. This is like an H&M top now. Like uh-huh. this is the kind of stuff that you find in like, a, like mailer. a Yeah. And it's a. Yeah, but think of the pictures from the 40s. It's not like yeah. an actual photograph. It's like they took a picture and then they had to paint over top of it because it didn't come out right. You know, Or I mean? like no one was willing to pose like this. Like, right. Well, here's a weird one. There's like this. Okay. This is the only way I can describe it. Nazi dominatrix vampire chick. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, she's way. got like the Nazi band on one arm. There's a Nazi in the background that looks kind of possessed. And there's like a half naked chick on a table wearing like the weird bras from the 60s that yeah, gave him rocket boobs. That definitely could have been one of the magazines he had because it says that he was involved. Uh, the magazines he had were involving cannibalism or not and Nazi atrocities. What? Okay, mm-hmm. so this one will go on our Instagram. But yeah, um, um, no, that's but super something interesting. Something else that he did is he sectioned off and boarded up all the rooms that were used by his mother. So that included anything upstairs, uh, the downstairs parlor and the living room, everything he boarded up and was untouched while the entire rest of the house just became this disgusting decay squalor. Just, it was nasty. Why do you think like, why would you, is he like trying to seal in the spirit of his mother? I don't know. I mean, I mean, think of Psycho. He did the same thing. I mean, he preserved his mother's body in Psycho, but spoiler, sorry, the movie is 100 years old, I think, if you haven't seen it. (laughs) Also, everybody wants to talk about how it's a cinema great. It's a slow movie. It's not that great. It's very slow. Sorry. I think... Great movie, but not that great. Yeah, but the... The storyline was based off of Ed Gein. It's a psychological thriller, which is the only thing that makes it better than the average 80s slasher movie. It wasn't even the 80s. When did it come out? No, I mean like 80s slasher movies. Oh, are gotcha. Just, sorry, this is a heinous crime for people who like true crime, but like uh-huh. I find 80s slasher movies absolutely stupid. Oh, sorry. I love them so much. Like, just because they're ridiculous. I just think they're dumb. If I'm going to watch something like that, I'm going to watch a campy shark movie. <laughs> 
I love that they make campy shark movies every summer. The right. Meg is easily the best dumbest movie I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. My favorite part is all of the swimsuits hanging off of his teeth at the very end. I'm just like, this is the dumbest <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Give me more of it. Put it in my veins. But um, back to the point, like this is psycho. Like what you're describing yeah. is Norman Bates. Mm hmm. Like, so what did he do with the rest? You said it fell into squat. What is he doing with the rest of the house? Just felt, I mean, just think of a hoarder who doesn't know how to clean. Because his mom did all of it? His mom, I don't know if she did all of it, but I mean, he was out working on the farm. My so assumption would be that it was the, the womanly task thing. Because right. like she's super religious, so she has this concept of what women do and don't do. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, but it's also the 40s. The men work in the yard, the women take care of the house. So she probably just made sure everything was clean and everything. And that's why he boarded up everything that she was probably particular about. And boarded up and said, these rooms are off limits because they're going to remain the way mom wanted them. Can I paint a terrifying caricature for you? Sure. What was he saying while he was boarding up the room? Because oh you know gosh. he was talking to himself. Oh, he was probably talking to his mother. Tell me that that is not the spookiest concept. So you've got this dude who has lived with his mother for a long... This is giving me chills. Like, mm -hmm. he's boarding up the room like, I've got this mom. Like, mm -hmm. don't worry. Never mess with don't your worry. room. Don't worry. I, yeah. I won't go in these rooms. All okay. right. So he's got his mom's rooms all boarded up. His mom's dead. So... Well, and he, I think he, one of his rooms was upstairs, but because he boarded up the entire upstairs, he moved into a room, a small room that's just off the kitchen. So pretty much he yep. just nope, has nope, to go nope, in the nope, kitchen nope. and in his room. Big old spookies right there. Yeah. Can you, you're in a house with half the rooms boarded up. Tell me there's not zombies behind that wall every Seri time you walk past. Dude, I live in a basement and I'm waiting for the it clown to pop up every Seriously. time I leave my house. Like, yeah. Well, I'll, at home, I keep all the curtains closed at night, and sometimes there's just, like, that little sliver that's open. I'm like, I'm going to look over, and there's going to be a big old eyeball looking at me, and I'm going to freak out. I'll say this. As somebody who completely believes in more gun laws, if I saw an eyeball looking back at me, it'd get 17 <laughs> rounds through it before it got to walk away, and then I'd reload. <laughs> I have a shotgun next to my bed. I'd if there was an eye looking through the window, gun, yeah. you would see that person fly about halfway across my yard before I came back through that window and yelled, You want some more?! Mm -hmm. So no, that has definitely occurred to me, but I yeah. also keep my blinds drawn like all the time. Yeah, but I mean, you have, excuse me, you have to remember this is like 50s, uh, 40s and 50s. It didn't happen. But they didn't have cinematic features like what we have now where you can now I don't imagine know. it. I don't know. These, pulp do, these things from pulp are very suggestive of some creepy like, Yes, but I think it was more erotica for him rather I, than... I don't know, man. Some of this is very true crime creepy. Like... There's like, it's, it's obviously much different, but there are some in here where it's definite true crime. Like there's this one right here. Let me find it. This one right here. There's a detective strangling a lady with a thing of pearls. Like, yeah, it's not obviously a serial killer, but I mean, at some level they had to be aware of it. Right. Right. That is true. Now. So I'm now jumping to November of 1957, not November 16th specifically. This is about an 11-ish year span, 10 to 11 year span that we're now jumping. Okay. Um, so his house has been boarded up and creepy for 11 years. For 10 to 11 years. No one cleaning it. Spooky. Continue. Yep. yep. Um, we're now going to talk about poor first victim. Second victim, I should say. Um, in Plainfield. Can Henry. I just say, you never, ever want to name your town like... Plainville or Borington. Because like, that is where the freaking weirdies show the, up. Yes, that is where all the weird things happen. This Except place is called Plainfield. Dude, there's a place in Illinois called Normal. 
Shut up. If there's not a serial killer out of there in the next 10 years, I will buy you lunch. Uh, in the next 10 years, there's probably already been like five. It's, we well, just it's, haven't caught him yet. Ironically, if you take the freeway out of normal, you'll arrive in, I can't make this up, Effington. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings me to the point of, is there an effing mare? Oh my god! Are they effing in their cars? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Which awesome. is a Ben Folds lyric, please don't sue me, Ben. <laughs> I love your music. Your music's great. He's got an album called Way to Normal, and one of the songs on it is called Effington, and the whole album's amazing. Plug, plug, plug. Check it out. Continue. Okay, there you go. Um, so when I talk about true crime, I want to mention the names of these people because I feel like we should have respect for them. This is nothing. We're not poking fun or anything of these people. No, we stick with that for Augusta, who's a psychopath and deserved yes. to get toasted. Yes, absolutely. So, um, his first victim is a woman by the name of Bernice Warden. She's the second victim. Second victim. Thank he, you for... He killed Henry. Um, yes. Ed Gein killed Henry. He killed Henry. It but, happened. <laughs> but there's also someone that is brought up a little bit later that's technically his first... Third victim, then? First victim. So yes. So if Henry would be his first victim, we'll call her victim two point five. There's, there's a victim that I will bring up a little bit later, and then there's this victim. Her name is Bernice Warden. She is a hardware store owner, and on the November sixteenth of nineteen fifty seven, she went missing. Now, what's interesting is this is the beginning of the deer hunt season. So most people are out deer hunting. I think in the book Deviant, I think they said it was the first day. As well of the deer hunting season. It's like a big thing in the Midwest. It's even a big huge. thing in the South. Like yeah. they, so they actually give the day off at school in some places I live. So I lived in uh, in the deep South for a minute down mm-hmm. in Louisiana, and uh, school is they they just stopped having school the first day of the hunt because no one showed up. Yeah, it's like a good ski day in Utah. Like yep. <laughs> no one's going to be there, and if you're there, it's because you don't ski. So like, exactly, as a skier, I can say that that never happened to me because my mom made me go to school (laughs) (laughs) i'm not a skier so i was always at school even though i was quote always at school i would leave all the time shred the gnar yo (laughs) hard skis (laughs) (laughs) um anyway so for the hardware store to be closed that day was not abnormal because it was the first day the the first day of the hunting season and witnesses saw the truck that um bernice owned leaving the store about 9 30 a.m so for her leaving to go out deer hunting all day with or just family, because there was no one that was going to be yeah, or yeah or the store was going to be completely dead all day she just thought she'd leave it was totally normal um and so about five five o'clock that night so i mean we're talking an entire work day uh bernice's five, son yeah. who was a sheriff uh came in to check on her and found the store cash register open and bloodstains on the floor yikes big yikes mm-hmm. yep ultra spookies um and so they got investigators over there and frank told the investigators that ed had been in the store the night before and that he was gonna be coming back the next morning for a gallon of antifreeze and the gallon of antifreeze was the last receipt that was written by warden that morning so real quick though how how did the son just like know it was ed that was in there looking for the antifreeze the receipt could have been for anybody because he was in the night before, and I because his son was there, was there the yeah. night before and was like, oh, I'll come back in the morning for antifreeze. Honestly, Ed probably could have been planning to take her that night, but her son was there. And so he's just like, oh, I'll come back in the morning for that antifreeze. 
Like, why wouldn't you pick it up that night? My assumption would be it wasn't in stock, something to that effect. It's not uncommon, but I also see exactly where you're coming from because it's totally a good ruse. I'm just here to buy something. It's late at night. No one's going to see me. Oh, crap. The sheriff. Yeah, it's nighttime. Yeah, exactly. Now, this sheriff is not her son isn't the sheriff of this town. He's just a sheriff. Interesting. Um, But so, yeah, so he reports it and Gein is arrested that night. And I'm going, I'm going to have to, I, I don't want to paraphrase this because there's so much specific wording from the actual report. So this is a police report. Yes. Okay, and the fine. sheriff of the town that this all, or the county this all happened in is um, Sheriff Sheely, S-C-H-L-E-Y. Schley. Schley? Schley. Perfect. That's the noise I make when I sneeze while I'm <laughs> really, really congested. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, let's see here. A sheriff from the nearby town of Plainfield was investigating the disappearance of the 58-year-old shopkeeper, Bernice Warden. Evidence from her store, a receipt found on the floor, and let's see, a receipt found on the floor near a trail of blood and a missing cash in the till had led them to the farmhouse. So real quick, how much blood are we talking here? Does it say? Are there pictures? No, but there's got to be plenty enough for them to know that there's... I got to look at this because... It wasn't just like a cut finger or anything like that. Like, there had to have been plenty. Well, because the only, the only reason I ask is, essentially, and some of our true crime listeners may know this, paranormies, if you know it, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the more blood you find at a crime scene, the less likely you are to find a live body. Yeah. Um, so my thought is, the sheriff knows that that's his mom who mm-hmm. was in there. Depending upon how much blood was there, you got to wonder what kind of bloodlust he had going to the Gein farm following that trail. Because if there was a lot of blood, he knows what he's going to find. Well, and from what I can remember in the book is, and I couldn't find this on any report, so I might be making this up, and I'm sorry if I am. But he's the one who loaded her into her own truck, her knocked out or potentially already dead body, and then drove her truck to his farm. Ed is? Yes. Um... So because of the information they had, it led them to Ed's farm. They got a warrant to uh, search his premises. And this is where it gets really dark. So I just want to warn everyone. Um, The sheriff, Sheriff Schley, um, said he walked into the house and he turned his and shown his torch on, on an object that was hanging. It was a naked human carcass, beheaded, disemboweled, and hung upside down from a ceiling beam. Um, Sheriff Schley gagged at the sight of it, but managed to avoid throwing up. The carcass turned out to be the freshly gutted remains of Mrs. Warden, and the police found her head in a burlap sack in another part of the house. So listeners... Sorry, Mike. (laughs) I I don't know how spooky you are, but there are pictures of the Bernice Ward head online mm-hmm. they're actually pictures of the ed Gein crime scene we're not going to post them no they are crazy r-rated but if you're that kind of spooky first off seek help second off <laughs> they're there i was just trying to find bernice warden's hardware store um an image of it i found some things that frankly i can't unsee so this was real <laughs> oh yeah so it gets so much worse nails had been rammed in through each ear and tied together by twine as if the Readiness for the head to be hung as a trophy. Spooky. Detectives spent the entire night and the next day thralling through the house. What they found marked a horrific new low in the annals of America crime. 
Somebody had been using a female body part to fashion a series of ghoulish artifacts. A belt that had been studded with nipples. A soup bowl uh, that had been created out of the top of a skull. And lampshades and chairs that had been fashioned out of human skin. Police found a box full of noses. A shoebox under the bed contained dried female genitalia. Hanging up in the closet was a shirt made of human skin, complete with a pair of breasts. On the wall were Do you know faces... that actually had a term? It's called a memory vest. That was what the police really? dubbed it, was the memory, memory vest. vest. I did not know that. Smart. Makes sense. Now they're just called breast pumps. <laughs> <laughs> On the wall, there were faces of nine women, carefully preserved and mounted like bizarre collection of human of a human hunter. So, here we've got two different movies that are being stemmed from what they're finding here in this house. You've got Silence of the Lambs, um, Buffalo Bill, who makes a who wants to make a women's a woman's suit. Also, Buffalo Bill just always reminds me of Creepy Fraser. <laughs> He's just scary Kelsey Grammer. That's all it the puts Buffalo Bill is. The lotion on the skin. The lotion on the skin. And then um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So Chainsaw is the one that everybody when you when you see it at the beginning of Chainsaw is at the end of I can't remember. It's the beginning. Yeah. It says like based on true events. It's based on Ed Gein. And was... tell me real quick, Kyle, did Ed use Chainsaw? No. Did he chase people down through his property? No, he Did didn't. Did he have a chainsaw? No. The Really, the only true facts in that is that he made... The face mask and the lampshade. The face mask, the lampshade. Yeah, and here's what's scary. One of the lampshades was made from a human face, so you turn on the light and there's a face on your shade. I will tell you right now, that place was haunted. Absolutely. So much so that, well, I won't tell that part. <laughs> so here's a few other items that were found. Um, whole human bones and fragments a wastebasket basket of human skin, human skin covering several chairs and seats, skulls on his bedposts, female skulls, some with the tops. Okay, so I know off. this is super dark, but picture what an Antiques Roadshow looks like in Ed Gein's brain. Oh my gosh. Oh yes, this one is human skin. Oh, it is made of the finest human skin. <laughs> what the f*** is wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, seriously though. Um, bowls made from skull, a corset oh, yeah, yeah. made from a human he torso. Had a bowl made of a human skull. Okay, this creep ate soup out of someone's head. Yeah. Leggings made from human skin. Like I'm telling skin. you right now, ravioli has never tasted better than when it Ew, comes out of a human that dome. That is so disgusting. Mm, picture the noise that ravioli makes when you move Ew, it about. it's like, and, and then, then it looks like that in brains. a human head. <laughs> Kyle, I know what I'm buying you for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's no, no, no. terrible. Get this, guys. You can buy, I know this because my friend bought this for his girlfriend. You can buy human bones online without having a medical permit or anything like that. It, there's nothing, I guess, <clears throat> objectively wrong with it if they've been sold to you, I guess. I would like to know how they're sourced. But yeah. what I was going to say, Kyle, is I have a bandsaw and access to a human skull. Guess what you're getting for <laughs> oh Christmas? <laughs> so it's going to be a real human skull. Yes, you're going to eat ravioli <laughs> out of a human skull and I'm going to laugh and yell, it puts the lotion on <laughs> Puts the lotion on the skin. <laughs> All right, so here's where it gets into who, who his possible second victim was. Her name is Harry, Ho excuse me, Mary Hogan, and she was the she worked in a bar in the town or a tavern in the town. Was like, she like a like a, a boyfriend came or? in? No, I think it was more like a boyfriend came into town and so she was she was a transient then was she or. I wouldn't say transient, but for her to just go missing and was possibly not run away wouldn't be. A completely out of the question. So, real quick though, there was like a million body parts in that house. What you said, two victims. I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting to that. So, 
they and he admi- he actually admitted to killing Mary Hogan. Oh, he just straight up was like, yeah, so, yeah, he, that. he didn't he did admit that. Um, but they found her skull in a box and her face was in a paper bag. He was probably getting ready to preserve it and add it to the other ones on his wall. Did he have any animal collections like do we know of? Um, or was I did just not a see strictly human. Thing? It was all human. I didn't see any any reports of anything. That's big yikes. Um, they do think that he might have had a hand in some of the disappearances around the area. Um, one like of them disappearances. Was like, yeah, like a little girl went missing, and they think it possibly could have been him. But he had an he affinity did, for children. He, he had denied it. Okay. I don't think he. I honestly don't think he would have hurt a child. I agree, and I also think that, and this might be kind of weird. I don't think he lied to police. Um, I don't. I think he was either proud of or not knowledgeable enough to know that what he was doing was evil. I don't think he realized what he doing. What he was doing was bad. I think he was just so fascinated by it and was like. And his father. I mean, if you remember, his dad learned how to do tanning. He was a tanner, and so he probably taught preservation Ed of the, yeah. skins. Mm-hmm. I I think that deep down, murder is murder is murder. I think when you kill a person, having not really known a ton about this, but watched a lot of documentaries. I don't think you can kill somebody and not know it's wrong. And I think, but I think that granted, he definitely had something mentally disconnected there, right? but he was clearly trying to hide it. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't out showing off his memory, his memory vest, like, right. But like, what the, where did all these other bodies come from? Yes. So he, when they asked him about that, because they're like, well, we only see two, one, one victim and we know he's admitted to another person, and another victim. there's a whole lot more and of there's a lot skin more. in there. Yeah, absolutely. There's no way he was able to turn two people into all this. And one of them was still hanging up in this garage. Uh, so, yeah, uh, investigators <clears throat> asked him, where did you find all these? And he admitted that between 1947 and 1952, he made as many as 40 nocturnal visits to three different graveyards in the area. And he would find recently buried bodies and he would unbury them exhume them exhume them and he said that he would be in like a daze like state and when so i I guess he would go into this daze like state and then when he'd come out of the cemetery he'd like come out as a normal person see that's interesting so Dahmer, um the he was a cannibal Mm -hmm. he talks about uh when he would go into this phase where he would kill people he would rape and murder somebody Mm -hmm. um he talks about seeing red, uh, which is not an uncommon phraseology. It's something we talk about when we get angry, we see red. Right. But he would talk about it like it was like a mist that would come in around the edges of his vision and he would come to having murdered somebody, which originally sounds like the Twinkie defense, um, but it's like a recorded phenomena. Yes. So this is going to be a little off. I mean, it's not, it's directly on what you're talking about, but it's a little bit of a tangent. So I served an LDS mission and my trainer was with a mission companion that was not from the United States. He was from Tonga, I believe. And he had that. He would have, and when he would go into his rages, he'd be like, Oda Hessing, you need to leave. And so he'd have to like leave the room and he would like go into, and he would call it the darkness. The darkness would take over and he would like punch holes in the walls and like. Break stuff. Yes. And my, my, my companion said he was terrified. Maybe I'll have him tell the story. But essentially, yes, there's a mist that takes over. So the the question mark is then, you know, psychologically speaking, there's some kind of imbalance there. But um, I think genuinely speaking, Ed Gein was 
he was lucid enough to to rob a grave. Yes. Um, I don't personally believe that he saw red. I think that. Granted, I don't think it was out of rage. I think honestly, I think it was more fascination for him. I think that he was raised in such a heavily Christian environment. Christian's probably the wrong word, but heavily religious environment mm-hmm. that he was fascinated by the opposite side of it. It's why a lot of times when you see somebody leave a religion, they go all the way. Right. And then they have to prove how much they've left that religion. It seems like that's what he's describing here. Yes. Well, and what's crazy is he said that after he would leave the cemetery, he would make sure that the grave and everything was left in perfect condition. Good, because the stone is the most important part of a grave, as we all know. <laughs> what the head? Well, I mean, he would take... He wouldn't, in some cases, he wouldn't take the entire body. He would just take pieces. He would leave the jewelry and stuff behind. Spooky. Yeah. Um, But he admitted to stealing nine graves from a local cemetery and led investigators to those actual locations. Yeah, that's why I think he wouldn't lie to the police. Like, yeah, I don't. If he's leading them to his exact crime scenes, there's there's no, he hasn't got a reason. And he's not mm -mm. doing, he's not a trophy killer. Not killer, but a trophy. He's not showing off is what I'm trying to say. Right. His trophies are more. Personal. Personal. He's got exactly. them mounted on the wall in his room. Yes. Where That's he can say super interesting. And I honestly, I wonder if he would probably talk to them and think that they were talking back to him. Have he, you ever seen the movie called Voices with Ryan Reynolds? I don't watch anything that's got Ryan Reynolds in it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I watch movies. He has, <laughs> right. He has um, schizophrenia and things and people will talk to him even though they're really not. And so he goes on a date with a girl and kills her and cuts her head off and puts her in the fridge and puts it in the fridge. And every time he opens the fridge, she talks to him and it's she's spooky. like, I'm alone in here. You need to get me a friend. And then he, anyway, it's a that very, is it's terrifying. It's dark humor, but it was kind of funny, but it was very dark. Um, anyway, so he takes them to all the, bo- to all the locations and they're just like, is he lying to us? So they didn't. They didn't exhume all of the locations, but they pulled up a few of them and they could see that some one of them, the body was completely gone and there was a crowbar left. Oh, yeah. He left the crowbar in the in the mm -hmm. tomb. Yep. And so that's when they're like, yeah, he's absolutely telling the truth. Um, So soon after his mother's death. So just think back. This was 10 years prior. He said that he began to create a woman suit so that he could become his mother and literally crawl into her skin. (laughs) <laughs> now he said he's this explains the memory and has completely denied but the lampshade yeah the lampshade does make sense but he has completely denied <laughs> having sex lamp. with any of the bodies so he's not a necrophilia right which i trust i mean he's obviously telling he's admitting things straight up to them well, i don't question. think that's something he would have hidden we already warned you that this was a graphic episode i'm about mm-hmm. to ask a rather graphic question here if he didn't have sex with the bodies why were there two dried labia under his bed he had one of them. He turned into a coin purse. What the? Yeah, he just did. Sorry, that one was necessary. <laughs> you just... turned a labia into a corn purse. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's gonna be a lot of SpongeBob sounds <laughs> in this right here. I'm sorry, but that's just so freaking weird. Yeah. He... That. Oh no! Big old yeah. yikes! I didn't need to know. Yes. What the? <laughs> Ah! Yeah, but that's what I mean. He was Ooh. fascinated by, I think, how the body worked and everything. But he also said he admitted not to not having sex with the dead bodies because they smelled too bad. Well, whatever. As opposed to his house. Whatever gets you Look, out. All, all I'm saying is your house is a slaughterhouse for people. Yeah. It doesn't smell good. Mm-hmm. It smells like formaldehyde and loneliness. Uh-huh. So there was a 16-year-old kid in the neighborhood that said he had gone over to... Um, Ed's house and he would and Gein would take him to like baseball games and movies and stuff I mean he was in the mindset of a kid so he would be like I'm gonna hang out with the kids and everyone in the town oh 
let's just Ed. He, he can take the kids. I mean, he never did anything to the kids. Clearly, what's up, fellow youth? But this kid, but one of the neighbor kids, he was sixteen year old, years old, and he said that Gein said he had he he actually saw them. They were shrunken heads in his house, and Ed told him he got them from the Philippines. Oh yeah, uh, know, they were totally relics from normal. the Philippines sent by a cousin who served on the island during World, World War II. Well, once the investigators got in there, they weren't shrunken heads. They were human skin that had been carefully peeled from the corse- from the corpses and used by Gein as masks. <laughs> I thought for sure we were about to hear about testicles, so I'm much happier <laughs> with that decision. <laughs> now, um, yeah, they did think that he, the, the little girl that went missing in 1953, her name was Evelyn Hartley. Um, she was in the county nearby called... Did he exhume any male graves or was it only female? It was all female. Interesting. Everything was female. But I think that's where his weird fascination with his mother came in. And she was always saying that women were evil and vile and they were instruments of the devil. But I think he was just so fascinated by it. And obviously his hormones were like, no, you need to go find a woman. Can you imagine being blue balled for 40 years? (laughs) I'm just saying that was the equivalent of what Ed did here. He's Mm -hmm. in his 50s at this point, isn't he? If it's like yeah. 10 years after his mom dies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause he got con he was 51 years old when he, well, got that caught. brings a lot of deference to the yeah, 50 year old. Virgin. I mean, it's, it's sad. Um, okay. Let's see here. So, uh, the sheriff that walked, that came in and, um, found all of this with the investigators said that, or it was reported that he assaulted Can you imagine Gein. finding that? Can you imagine walking into that? I would be freaking out too. So Dude, I, I would be blame like, this guy for assaulting him. While I go grab my AR, yeah. and then we're going back into this building, and you're leading. And, like, that, and that's exactly what he did. I mean, not exactly. So he beat but the he, piss out of Ed Gein. Yeah. They said, it, it says that he slammed him into a, a cement wall or a brick wall. This is police brutality um, I can get behind. Yeah. Um, as a result, Gein's initial confession was ruled as inadmissible. Uh, many who knew the sheriff said that he was traumatized by the horror of Gein's crimes and this, along with Well, he found his mom's of... frickin' body hanging yeah. up in the frickin' barn. Well, I'd it wasn't his mother. Out of yeah, it too. wasn't his mother, but yes. Yeah. Dude, absolutely. Well, Fred, uh, he knew her, at least. I mean, it was like, here's a family friend. And hanging up like a dead deer. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how she was gutted, like a deer. Yep. Um... Anyways, it says that um, he was traumatized by the horror of Gein's crimes and along with the fear of having to testify, which he was afraid he was going to have to do, he ended up dying before everything went to trial. The sheriff? Yeah. Like had a heart attack kind of dead or? Um, I'm not quite sure, but it just said uh, family members that knew him just said he was a victim of Ed Gein surely as if he was butchered by, butchered by him. Super creepy. He died at the age of 43. So he's younger than Ed. Yeah. That's spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ed Gein goes to trial November 21st, 1957, and they, when they first met with him, they said that, or they were pleading not guilty by reasons of insanity because he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and found mentally incompetent until further trial. Um, and then he was sent to the state hospital for the criminally insane under maximum security. And what's crazy is people went in and visited him and they said he was the nice guy. He would just, he would answer whatever questions you had. Well, he because would talk, he would even it. as a prolific, because he, he's not really a serial killer, is he? He, he killed no. two people that we know of. Yes. Um, 
but he was a grave robber more than anything. By the way, do you guys know that the term ghoul actually stems from grave robber? Yeah. Like, that's, like, what they used to call Yeah, him. in fact, they call him the plain... What's the town name again? Plainville? The Plainfield Ghoul. Plainfield Ghoul. Um, it's creepy. So my thought is, he was probably a pretty normal dude in person, which is weird, because his socialization wasn't there. Yes, but when people would tell him, because he'd be like, oh, I'm, you know, and they'd be like... And people would have compassion for him and be like, oh, maybe we should try and figure out a way to... Have have him not be in maximum security, or possibly, and he appealed Real quick, and tried to get, Yes, <laughs> but he appealed and tried to say, "I've been rehabilitated. I want to go back out into the public." And they always denied him. And every time, like he was always so nice, but every time he got denied, they said it was almost like a darkness came into his eyes and like the light just disappeared, and he was not the same person. And that's when they knew we made the right decision. Sounds like he has like a severe amount of split personality disorder of some something like that because like possibly I don't know he he doesn't he does and doesn't display certain characteristics of a sociopath mm-hmm. um, but I almost feel like and this is an interesting concept that he was a sociopath by nurture yeah does that make sense. Mm-hmm. Which is super interesting. Yeah. Because his mother made him that way. Yes, but also I mean if he's got schizophrenia and it wasn't treated. For 50 years. I don't know if he's a schizo, though. I, no, I think it says that, that he was, was kind of a no, he, general term used for anything, though. Like, could be, you know yeah. how, like, our, our generation, everybody had ADD? Yeah. I feel like, like especially mental science had not progressed far enough to pro- to properly identify yeah. his mental issue. Yeah, that's true. So he, I guess he was diagnosed, mm-hmm. in quotations. Um, now, 10 years later, so first they're saying, nope, he was, he's in, insane. Let's just put him into a home or in a hospital. So 10 years later, or 11 years later, in 1968, doctors determined Gein was mentally able to be tried. So they began trial uh, November 7th of 1968 and only lasted one week. A psychiatrist testified that Gein had told him that he did not know whether the killing of Bernice Warden was intentional or accidental. So he doesn't even remember if he was planning it. Or, or if his it was lawyers just... told him to say that one of the two. Exactly. Um, so I th- clearly right there, he's not, he's being manipulated by the people around him by saying, oh, just say you don't remember. Or he doesn't. And that's and, just a whole nother story. Yeah. But I mean, there were, there's a few different testimonies. One of them says that Gein testified that after trying to load a bullet into a rifle in the store, it discharged and shot her. And so it was an accident. But I think it's more. She it slipped more and planned. fell on the knife 37 times. <laughs> exactly. Um, so they end up, um, he ends up guilty. He didn't actually have a full jury. I guess. I don't think you could find a fair jury for that. Like it's, it's a very widespread story. It was a horror of its time. How does that work? If they don't have a jury, is it just the judge that makes the decision then? Occasionally. So there's, and I'm not a lawyer, but I've heard enough of these stories to kind of make this work. So essentially my understanding is if you can't find a jury of peers in the local area that you feel will be fair, your uh, lawyer can request a change of venue okay. where there are less people that are clear on what happened, but right. it's pretty uncommon. Um, or it was, I don't, like I said, I'm not a lawyer, right. but um, my thought is they probably had to do change of venue. That would be the only way he'd get a fair trial. Cause if you got a trial inside of his city, you're going to get convicted. That's mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Yeah. And, Luckily and unluckily, that's the best part of the American justice system is that we try to be fair. Right. Um, I would assume they had to move him. That's the only thing I can think of. Because well, even if and if he has a small jury, if he has a hung jury or even, you know, well, a it jury says he didn't have any jury. It just says Gein's trial was held without a jury. 
I would assume it's just because you Robert can't find a fair jury. Gomer presiding. Gein was found guilty by Gomer. So yeah, it looks yeah, like... Yeah, the judge just decided. I've never heard of that before. I hadn't either. That's why I thought it was interesting. So yeah, he spent the rest of his life in a mental hospital. Um, and a then terrible he, way to go. He died July 26, 1984, at the age of 77. Um, and over the years, this is really sad. I think this is sad. And I think it's super disrespectful. But over the years, people would go and find his grave and they would mark it up. Like there were pictures of people just carving 666 into it and like, or they would chunk, like take pieces off of it and then take a part of his. his I mean, granted, he, he did some sick, but like, yeah, but I, I don't know. I still think that's disrespectful. I mean, I, he, I what know, he man. did was disrespectful, but it doesn't mean that you have the right to go disrespect him. You know, how do you know that he hasn't been living in remorse the last 26 well, years? So part of me thinks, though, that if they're carving 666 and taking chunks out of it, it sounds like a cult ritualism. Yeah. Well, and it ended up that some the whole headstone was actually stolen in 2000. And then it was later recovered in 2001 near Seattle. So someone had taken it clear across the country. That, wouldn't, that, that surprises me that it was near Seattle. But um, I, <laughs> unless it was made into a bong, then it makes perfect sense. Right. But like... I don't know. The Pacific Northwest. There's some occult stuff. But, yeah, there's but some weird I, I genuinely think if people were taking chunks of it and they were writing 666 on it, it sounds like Mansonism. It sounds like some kind of cult using his tombstone as a part of a ceremony. I mean, yeah. granted, it could just be kids. Yes, but so after after they found it, they it's now kept in a police locker or like a police. Yeah, I'm not touching that. Storage. I think it's because they're like, we're sick of this. Don't just leave it alone. So his grave is unmarked, unmarked yeah. but it's it's not unknown. Like, they know exactly where it is. Well, you wouldn't want to dig him up or anything. No. Oops. Oh, 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 oh. He's probably already out digging more graves. He's a ghoul. Oh, That's that an really, image I want. That was Thank really you. mean. <laughs> <laughs> Would be so unfair if they exhumed him. What? <laughs> so, okay. So, all together, the 155-acre property... Had to be was appraised at four thousand seven hundred dollars, which is e- equivalent to forty two thousand dollars in two thousand nineteen. His possessions were scheduled to be auctioned March thirtieth of nineteen fifty eight, amidst rumors that the house and the land it stood on might become a tourist attraction. Early in the mar- early in the morning, March twentieth, so ten days before the auction, uh, the house was destroyed by fire. A deputy fire marshal reported that. A rubbish fire had been set 75 feet from the house by a cleaning crew. So they were cleaning out the house and throwing things into this fire pit about 75 feet away. And let's see. Disposing of trash. Further, um, so it's about 75 feet away. And the crew reported that hot coals from the fire jumped to the house. But there's no trail of that happening. Like normally I, from what I understand, if a fire is jumping from one location to another, you'll see a trail of how it's getting there. Cause so, it burns everything So do you everything think someone toasted the house? Oh, absolutely. Who do you think did it? Um, I think it was probably someone from the cleaning crew. I think they were in there cleaning and was like, this is complete ridiculous. No one's ever going to live. Here. I think it was the fire marshal. You think it was like just trying to get rid of a, tor- I, a possible negative tourist attraction in the town. I, well, this is the thing though, man. Your tourist attraction is someone's final resting place. That's true. 
Your tourist attraction is full of bodies. Your tourist mm-hmm. attraction, while macabre and maybe attractive to a certain few, I know I would visit it, but I, it wouldn't be. Uh, I wouldn't be smiling when I visited right. that place. It would be a. This is interesting. It would be. It would be like watching a cadaver being cut apart. You know what I mean? Like, right? Yeah. It's, it, more it's got this kind of eerie, like, ugh. But at the same time, it's like I have to know. You know what I mean? Right. It's like it's like looking at a car accident. That's probably Absolutely. more accurate. Like, yeah. So. I, my concern would be, I mean, think about people like Charles Manson who visit this kind of stuff for inspiration. Yeah. Um, and think about the spree killers that could have taken inspiration, taken heart. Oh, there's someone else out there mm-hmm. doing this. I don't think they necessarily thought of those ramifications, but who wants their town to be known as the I, town that's home to the I serial think that's murderer more of a, Yes, exactly. I think that's more of what it was is that the town didn't want that stigma. And when Gain learned that the that his house had burned down, he just shrugged and said, just as well. Also, if you Google um, Ed Gein's, uh the Gein farm mm-hmm. today, uh, there are directions on how to get there. I thought it would be developed by now. Directions. I-39, exit 136. I'm not going to read the entire thing because I don't want people going there. But this is the part that's eerie. No trespassing signs are on almost every tree on the property line. The driveway is overgrown and blocked with a chain wooden fence that reads Fisher. Like somebody Fisher. owns the property. Uh, Fisher spelled with a C-H. Um, there's pictures of the Ed Gein site, mm-hmm. like modern pictures of it. And I'm not going to lie, dude. Like, I know what the house looked like. And it's just, it's just, it's any other nondescript parcel of land in the U.S. It's a dirt plain. Tell me that's not eerie as hell, though. Oh, yeah, of course. Knowing what was there. Yeah. like And what took place there. But apparently... It is so, like, I don't know who Fisher is, but I'm assuming it's somebody with a fair amount of money that just wants that place erased. Mm-hmm. I can tell you right now, it, it, you know, given the opportunity to buy even a cheap parcel of land on the Gein estate, nope, Mm-mm. hard pass. Yep. That's too spooky. Yep. I, I'll bet they're probably just preserving it. And just I, I do no wonder why it there. hasn't just like been blocked off entirely. Like, somebody owns that space and pays to own it, but, like, mm-hmm. freaky stuff, man. Oh, absolutely. Well, and one item that did get auctioned off, and I'm sure a lot of people are aware of this, but Ed Gein had, they called it a cauldron, but it's more just like a, it was more used for, um, boiling skin from bone, something like that, or, uh, well, everything that I could find said it was hog fat. So I think it was more boiling down the fat from pigs so they could turn it into soap. Um, but he used it for more sinister reasons. It was because he's Ed Gein. Yeah, I mean, it had blood and human tissue samples. Yeah, exactly. Viscera. But it was sold, and a lady thought she saw it and liked it. And was like, oh, I'm gonna make that a little flower pot to that's put on the, the porch. And the neighbor show. came over and was like, so that's what Ed Gein's that? cauldron, and you're insane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the cauldron's been like passed around from place to place, but I think it's in a museum. Totally. Right now, that thing needs to be melted into a blob and tossed oh, into the Marianas yeah. Trench right now. Absolutely. Tuck that down with Bin Laden. Mm-hmm. That is freaky stuff. Yep. I, I found kind of a little bit of history on that. If you guys want to go read about it, it's called, the website is called Cult of the Weird. Um, Some of you paranormies are on there yeah. every day and we all know it. <laughs> um, but yeah, the author of that website, his name, Charlie, his name is Charlie Hintz. Um, but yeah, he's, I guess he's got a whole history of like where it's been, like the hand, the who's purchased it from who until where it said it's current location. So it's easiest to tell who's killed a few people in the past and has gotten away <laughs> with it just from that trail of ownership. Exactly. That in and of itself should put you on the no fly list. I'm just saying. Yes, I agree. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the story of Ed Gein. I, and I think after that people, that's where people started being like, you don't know what your neighbors are doing. You don't know what's going on around you. Like 
anyone could be a suspect. And that's where people started getting more paranoid, aware of what's going on in the world around them. Yeah. And I mean, I know we talked about some rather heavy stuff today. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm with Kyle. I mean, (laughs) when in doubt, be weird. That'll keep you alive. Absolutely. I personally have had a couple experiences Nothing where I was a little, you know, overly worried that I was going to get chopped up and turned into a mask. But I've had <laughs> I've had times for sure in my life where I have avoided what would have been a bad situation by choosing to be rude. Um, and I'm not advocating rudeness. That doesn't help anybody. But be aware of your surroundings. Be aware that your neighbors aren't always what they seem. Be aware that there are good people. There's a mm-hmm. lot more good people than there are bad. But don't write yourself. Don't put yourself in a situation where. Something poor can happen to you. Agreed. But also, like, don't... People do weird things. I'm always noticing the weirdest people... I mean, people do the most strange things. And I, for... I'm one of them. Like, Kyle and I worked in consumer goods for a customer (laughs) service line. People do weird damn things. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and to you, it might make sense and be like, oh, I'm going to do it this way because this, that, and the other. But to somebody else, it might be completely off the wall, crazy weird. So... Just because your neighbors do something weird doesn't make them a serial killer. At the same time, if they're digging a six-foot-deep hole in the middle of the night, call the police. Yes, absolutely. Poor girl in Salt Lake that died because her... There's also a really funny Simpsons episode where Flanders gets accused of murder. That's a great episode. (laughs) Go watch it. I I do want to end this on a bit of a bright note as well, though. Yeah. There are good Mm -hmm. people out there that are doing good things. And while we tend to focus on a a bit of the more dark side of things... (laughs) We're also completely aware that there are good things happening in this world. Be a part of the good part of it. All right, guys? Agreed. Thanks, Paranormies. And remember, everyone, Ed Gein killed his brother. And Jeffrey Epstein did not kill himself. Good night. To keep up to date on what's happening on the podcast, follow us on Instagram at guysparanormal. Also, if you have any stories you want to share with us, email us at pnormalguys at gmail.com.